Well, we're about to read from Matthew chapter 22. I hesitated to even preach from this passage because it's been so well-worn, but I'm not sure we've excavated everything that needs to come out of this. So I'm hoping that today that your heart is going to be freshly moved, instructed, and really transformed by what God says. Matthew 22, starting verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, and one of them was an expert in the law, or a scribe. He tested him with this question. Now, just so you're clear, an expert in the law was not someone that just knew the law, and this would not be like the law of the land, of, of, of Rome, like a lawyer. This would be like a scribe of the Torah, of the law of Moses. These were the interpreters of the law. And he asked him one of the questions that was one of the key pivotal cultural questions of the day, which was, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, this was a question that was used to size people up. Think about the questions people use these days to size people up. I think about maybe the most common question I've heard in the last 10 years has been, tell me who you voted for in the last presidential election because by knowing who you voted for, I know everything about you. Or maybe it's a question like, what's your take on LGBTQ rights? Or what's your take on gay marriage? Or what's your take on abortion? Or what's your take on, and you fill in the blank on whatever the hot button issue whereby you can size somebody up. That is what this one was. What's, what's the greatest or what's the most important commandment? And it was a big one because there were over 600 commands that were mentioned in the Old Testament. A good portion of them were in the affirmative. A bunch of them, more than the affirmative, were actually in the negative. And so the idea was, what's the biggest, what's the most important, whatever all that stuff is? And of course, some people would say, how can you say anyone is, you know, if, if one is important, then you're saying others are not. Maybe it's about circumcision. Maybe it's about Sabbath. Maybe it's about the ceremonial law. All of that was on the table to which Jesus says in uncharacteristic form because he usually does not answer in a straightforward way. And this time, he's like, I'm not even going to be evasive. I'm not going to be roundabout. I'm not going to even go in any other direction. I want to make sure you know that 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 you know this is key. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And of course, he only asks for one, and he gives one, but he doesn't stop at one. He gives a second, not a third, only a second. He says, and the second is like it. And it's really actually interesting what he says, because he extracts commandment number one, the most important command, out of Deuteronomy chapter six. It's called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord's your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And these words that I teach you today shall be upon your heart. You'll teach them to your children and down the line. So the first one kind of makes sense because Jews forever had been quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. What's odd when you read it is that his second one he chooses, it's not one of the Ten Commandments. It's not one of the most oft-quoted commandments. It's an obscure verse from a book called Leviticus, which was a book about ceremonial law. But in the middle of a book about ceremonies, there's a command that says this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Meaning if you want the Ten Commandments, all the Ten Commandments, the first table of the law is summed up in the first command. The second table is summed up in the second. All the commandments are summed up in loving God with all and loving your neighbor as. 
And there's a freedom that's in this passage that I'm hoping is going to be used by Jesus to give us freedom today. Pray with me, God, help. Señor, ayúdanos. Con tu poder, con tu gracia, con tu amor, help us today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Go ahead and have a seat. So I was at a store. They had a, what I thought was a sale on a shirt. I got this $50 shirt for 20 bucks, 19 bucks. All excited till I get home, put the thing on. Doesn't fit right at all. The thing's an absolute disaster. I don't know what this thing is. Take it back, to which they reinforce and point out that the, the tag has been cut and it's got one of these little stickers that says, as is. Has any, anyone ever bought something as is? It's like as is. That means this was from the damaged department. There's something wrong with the color or the zipper or the fit or the size or something. They don't tell you what's wrong. You've got to figure that out for yourself. Hence, the price being at 40% of what their regular thing would be. But the rule is we're not taking your thing back because there are no refunds, there's no returns, and there's no exchanges. It's slightly irregular. And I was thinking about that because I was thinking about us, because the reality about us is that it's not just clothes that are slightly irregular, it's pretty much every single one of us in this room. It's pretty much everyone that's joining us, watching us online right now. There's something about us that's slightly irregular, something about us that's, that I, I don't know, it's just, it's just not quite right. There's something in us, whether it, for some of you there's a deceptive streak or a lustful streak or a arrogant streak or a fear streak or a suspicion streak or a paranoid streak. We don't tell people about it. It's like going to the department. We don't really show that on our Instagram. It's not like our Instagram posts are loaded with pictures of us showing the deeper secrets about us that no one can see. We choose from one of a hundred pictures to choose the one that we'll let you see because the point of Instagram is not to really reveal myself. It's to it's to highlight something, perhaps concealing something else. We are humans. We are flawed. But make no mistake about it, we are slightly irregular, which maybe actually makes us regular. We really come into a relationship series like this one where I need you to understand we don't really have marriage problems nearly as much as we have single problems that we bring into marriage. We don't just have parenting problems. We've got, we've got me problems that I bring into my parenting, that we don't just have career issues. We've got me issues that I bring into what my career is. The dilemma that we have is the image that we're made in, meaning the scripture declares that we were made in the image of God. Now, the reason this is a dilemma is because you are made in the image of the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I, and I, I, I get it. There are times when I wish the Bible almost did not even reveal that because I'm like, God, there's only one. Just so you all know, there's only one God. Like, there is only one God. There's not three. There's only one God, but he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, especially when I'm talking to people that struggle with, their, with faith and Christianity. I'm, I've always been like, oh, God. I wish this almost, there have been times that the doctrine of the Trinity has felt to me like your strange uncle at a family reunion. You know he's there, but you don't want to say it because it's kind of awkward to try to explain it to people. And I got to let you know, I cannot explain the Trinity, but the Trinity does explain you. Because you were made in the image of the God 
who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, where there is a Father who has forever loved the Son and a Son who has forever loved the Father, and they love the Spirit, and the Spirit loves... that God himself, one God, is in this eternal community of mutual, loving one another, that you and I are made to... to when we are in God's... We're, we're liberated and we're free to live and to love and to just be, just be alive. But the reality about us is that when humans sinned, that freedom and liberty changed because where we were created in God's image and they were, Adam and Eve were, they were naked and unashamed. They were completely vulnerable and free to be themselves. When sin entered the world, Adam and Eve got naked and now they were ashamed and they covered up and they guarded and they put on fig leaves and they were hiding and they didn't want people to see them because now they had to be guarded. When there was no, where there is no sin, you are free. But when sin entered in, when they disconnected from God, there was this, this sabotaging of the image of God that took place. And so sin brought them to this place of being guarded and living in a place of self-preservation. And I don't want people to see the real me because if they saw the real me, if anybody gets too close, I know what's going to happen. I will be hurt. It's interesting to me that when God calls Adam out on his sin, he does not say, Adam, what did you do? He says, Adam, where are you? To which Adam says, I was afraid and so I was hiding. And of course God says, you know, did you eat from that tree when he's talking to Adam? And he, but I want you to catch, in other words, Adam, where are you? He's, he's trying to identify something. Adam, it's not just what you did. Adam was ashamed of who he was. And all of us that have been in that spot ever since, we're, we're afraid of, of who we are, and so we, so we guard ourselves. Here's where I want to go in this message today before we get into the rest of this relationship series called Breaking Bread. I want you liberated. I want you free. I want you alive. I want you thriving. And the only thing that does it is the way of Jesus. The only thing that has the power to make us free is the way of Jesus because he's the one in whose image you were made and when you have something going wrong with a computer or a car or a device, go back to the manufacturer's original recommendations. And what I want you to know is you were made in the image of nothing less than God himself. In Spanish we say, altísimo, the altísimo, the most high. Here's the sermon today. The way of Jesus, and I would even say only the way of Jesus, liberates us to live and love freely. Here's how it happens. It happens when we look at this passage. They say, God, what's most important? He says, here it is. Commandment number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What I want to give you here is the first priority. The first command is the first priority. If you can get the first one right, so many other things are going to be made right. Something happens when we get in touch with the fact that God, when, when God becomes first. So here is how we become free. You become free when step one, you put God first. Not your career, not your body, not your health, not your kids, not your spouse, not your mouse. About to be all kind of Dr. Seuss on you here. When you put God first, freedom begins. Let me explain why. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. So I've got, I've got I have eight children. 
I was talking to one of my kids recently who said, Daddy, I like me. I said, what? She said, I like myself. I said, you do? She said, yes, I love myself. And she was describing this. I said, whoa. And, and I realized someone, some of you might have an issue with that. I personally want my children loving themselves. Can I get an amen? She's like, I love myself. And I said, well, what, what is it that you like about yourself? She starts to describe points of her greatness. <laughs> to which I said, well, why do you think that way? How do you know that's true about you? To which she said, because you tell me. And I believe you. Here's what I need you to understand. We, we live in a world that we have, we, we have been bound in, in, in desires to protect ourselves. We have so guarded ourselves that what we've really done is inhibited ourselves from being able to be free. The only thing that can make you free is the one that created you free in the first place. When you come to God, you come to the God who has, in the Old Testament, there was a word called chesed. Everyone say chesed. Chesed was this, this concept of love that was steadfast. It was love that was covenantal. It was a love that had, let me say it like this, no strings attached. That's what chesed was. When you experience God's love, you find a liberty that, and, and, and trust me, I get it. Like, there's a reason we guard ourselves. There's a reason we put up these, these rails. There's a reason we hold people at arm's length because people could hurt us. What I'm telling you is freedom comes when hero Israel, the Lord's your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart. This is the first and greatest commandment. When God becomes first, you get connected to chesed. You get in touch with an unconditional, no strings attached, steadfast love that changes your life. Now, like, I, I need to pause, though, because that's good news if God is number one. Sociologists tell us that your perception of yourself is going to be wildly determined by your opinion of other people's opinion of you. And let me say it differently. Whoever your most important person is, Whatever you think your most important person thinks about you, that's what you're going to internalize because we tend to self-view through the lenses of the other people that we think are looking at us, down on us, around at us, up on us, whatever that is. What I'm letting you know is you belong to the God that when Jesus himself, Jesus himself comes in flesh, God in the flesh, about to go do ministry, and when he does, he first gets baptized before he ever heals a sick person, before he ever walks on water, before he ever does a miracle, before he ever goes to the cross and rises from the dead, which he does, before any of that happens, he first gets baptized, where a voice from heaven comes and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus hears the words this is my beloved son. This is your identity. Your identity is you are the beloved son of God. This is who you are, Jesus. And he gets baptized. This is unconditional love. Friends, what I need you to know is this. The greatest thing you could ever do for your child's self-esteem is to get your child to make God first. Because what they're going to hear from God is you 
are my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Yeah, but I don't deserve that. Yeah, you don't. That's why I'm not giving you conditional love. I'm giving you unconditional love. This world gives out this kind of love. This world is going to say, oh, I love you. We've all had this. We've all had boyfriends and girlfriends and brothers and sisters and cousins and coworkers that said, I love you with all kinds of strings attached. But you know your soul longs for someone to say, I love you. No strings attached. See, whenever you need to control someone, that's not love. Whenever you've got an agenda for somebody, that's not love. That's a lot of other things, but that's not love. God wants you liberated. Something happens. Here's my question. What's actually the most important thing in your life? Because if it's anything other than God himself, that something else is going to break your heart eventually. Because it can never manufacture the love that only gets manufactured in the fab- fabrica. How do you say that in English? The factory of God. Only the, only the fabrication, only God can, can create chesed. Don't get me wrong. I think atheists can unconditionally love their spouses or children. But when they do, make no mistake about it, that atheist is carrying around the identity of the God in whose image they were made. What's funny is sometimes there's people that don't even believe in God, reflecting the image of God, better than some of those that walk into churches and religiously reinforce strings-attached legalistic love that breaks my heart. So, See, the way of Jesus alone liberates us to live in love fully. Here's how. Step one, God becomes number one. When that happens, step number two takes place. When God becomes number one, it, it connects me to the hesed, and then when that takes place, this causes me now, I move out, I now love who I am. I now have this with, with wait, there's hesed, no strings attached. Wait a minute. This, this, is, this is coming off. I now am free. Like I, I now step out. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. The altissimo, everyone say altissimo. That means the most, the Altissimo says of me, I'm his beloved child. The Altissimo says that he loves me. The Altissimo, the most high, he, he looks at, see, see, if only you could, I, I think we think the Altissimo is looking down on us as nothing but dirt when if you only understood, the Altissimo looks at you and sees the one in whom he breathed his breath. Let, let me read you something that, this is just like from an Orthodox priest. Orthodox priest that was describing this, this very reality. He says, Our repentance and departure from sin must be built on a sound foundation, on a true understanding of the spiritual life and our relationship to God. The most important motive for repentance is to know our own worth. For each of us to know his own capabilities and who he or she is. So my brother, my sister, know yourself. Who are you? If you know who you are, you will rise above sin. For if you know your great capabilities and your great position, then you will not allow your exalted self to come down to the level of sin. Therefore, you will not fall. So I ask, who are you? You are a holy breath which proceeded from the mouth of God. 
You, my brother, are not a scoop of dust, as some may think. You are a holy breath which proceeded from the mouth of God and descended into the dust. So you became a living being, Genesis 2 says, but not until the breath was breathed. You are neither mere dust nor dirt. You should sing with joy, saying, I am not dirt, but in dirt I live. I am not dirt, but a spirit. From the mouth of God I proceeded. I will return to God to live whence I originally came. Your presence in this dust, O blessed brother and sister, is only a brief period of alienation after which you will return to God and be confirmed to him in eternity. So know that your alienation and live as a spirit rising above the matter in the world and the works of this body. You are his. What this means is, parents, the best motivation for our kids to avoid sin is probably not, you better stop because Santa Claus is watching and you might get less Christmas presents. It's probably not, you better stop or else the wrath of God's gonna come down and strike you. Make no mistake about it, a speeding ticket is somewhat motivating, but God's dream for his people was never that you, you, you behave well because you might get a spiritual speeding ticket. His goal was always that you would know who you are. And in this family, we act like our dad. You were made in the image of the Altissimo. Yes, there's sin. Yes, there's consequences. Yes, what I'm telling you is you are made in the image. See, when you make God first, what's going to happen is it causes you to love who you are. This is why he would say, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Man, guys, I get it, church. I get it. Like, absolutely, there. I, I see people full of pride. I would submit to you, most of the people that I talk to that have lo- massive amounts of arrogance and pride, those are usually masks that are shielding the inferiority that they feel on the inside. And what I'm telling you is the greatest thing you could ever do for your self-esteem is to make him number one because when the Altissimo, when the Most High says of you, this is my beloved son, when you begin to think of you the way he thinks of you, and by the way, there, I, I, do, I care what you all think about me. I want to preach good right now. I do hope you like what I'm preaching. Of course, there's all the people pleasing that I feel, that we feel, that all of us feel. I, I hope you like me. I hope I don't irritate you. I hope all of that. But you know what? At the end of the day, the one who accepts me in the verdict that's been declared already came from the king. So the, the subjects, although important, they cannot bring the verdict that the judge already brought. And the judge has said over my life and yours, this is my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased, that when you put your faith in Jesus, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, Colossians says your life has been hidden with Christ in God. Hidden. That means, I know I don't deserve this. Exactly. That's called chesed. But there's a reality that when God wraps his steadfast, this is why the Bible says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. But Mike, I feel like I blew it. I feel like I've, I've already extended as much grace as there is. You don't understand. As long as there's a morning, there's more. As long as there's another day, there's more. There is nothing that stops the steadfast love of the Lord. The chesed of the Lord Never fails. Fails not. <laughs> to which I, and I, by the way, I get it. We, I know this is hard. We've been raised, we have been loved by people full of strings. We, we have been loved by people. I, I, I know that. What I need you knowing is that God is not like this. 
God comes with no strings attached. His love has no strings. This, this is why the, the beauty is like, like beauty in the beast. The, what, what makes the unlovable lovable is that they first have to be loved. The beast never becomes beautiful until he was first loved. And he was loved before he was lovable. And don't you get it? What makes you lovable isn't earning the love. What makes you lovable is that you've been loved and received it. That, that's, it's, it's the mystery of the gospel. You, you, yeah, yes, your unworthiness is technically true, but ultimately irrelevant because the love of God is so strong that it turned beasts into kings and princes. That's what it does. When God has loved you, it, it changes sinners like it does. You're like, Mike, I'm just a wretch. You may, maybe that's what you were. Maybe, but what I'm telling you is when Jesus comes in, it changes your, that's what you, you, Mike, I'm just dust. I'm just dirt. That's what you were until he went like this. And God's got some good breath. <laughs> some of you need to let him blow on you freshly today. Oh, Holy Spirit, blow on your people. Blow upon your people, Holy Spirit. Oh, the people that need the freshness of, of your truth over them. All the lies that have been spoken. Some of you that heard lies even from childhood that have resonated. And the reason you need to know that they're lies is because the one who is the Altissimo, the one that is the Most High, is the one that only speaks truth. And he says, this is my beloved child. You, if you are hidden in Jesus Christ, you have been hidden in the one that fully pleases the Father. And when that has come upon you, I'm telling you, that is what changes. You do not change to earn his love. You receive his love to change. It's so precious. I'm, guys, there, there's, I've had no better news in my life than to have a father in heaven who has poured out his love on someone that does not deserve it, but it's irrelevant because Jesus took what I deserve so I could get what he deserves. That's the gospel. I don't deserve for my prayers to get answered. Jesus does. But Jesus went upon a cross where he took the punishment I deserve so I get what he deserves. God answers my prayers as if it was Jesus praying them. And he does the same thing to you. I'm trying to convince you that it's true. I mean, the whole, my whole end game, my whole agenda right now is to convince you that what is spiritually true would become functionally true in your life. God becomes most important. God, you are first. Jesus, you are Lord. That's, that's the beginning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not the end, though. From, from there, though, he gets you in touch with said. That overwhelms you. You're like, oh, wait a minute. Wait, wait. Wait, I'm loved like this. This causes me to like me, to love me. And this, that connects me to joy. Everybody say joy. Let me tell you why this matters. Babies only thrive in the presence of people that love them, which is why Austrian orphans that were discovered after the Cold War, there, there was whole groups of teenagers and people in their 20s that had all sorts of incapacities because although they had been fed and clothed and had shelter, they were not loved and they could not thrive. And so there was this entire generation of children that 
that couldn't become what they were supposed to become because you actually need more than just the basics. So like your, your face has scores of like little muscles that make these micro expressions that, that do things that there's like a fast track and a slow track in your brain. The slow track, things you can explain and put your finger on. The fast track, things you can't put your finger on. The fast track is like, you, you just kind of feel it. You look at someone. You're, you know when someone's face lights up to see. You know when someone wants to be with you or not. And what they find, little, ba- little babies, little orphans actually needed more than a bottle. They needed someone's face to light up when they were giving them the bottle which is why a robot can't do what a mama can do or a papa or a titi or an auntie or whoever it is that comes and lights up. And some of you remember some of those people that would light up when, when you were a child. Some of your lives were changed by the teachers, not just who taught you, but some of you teachers that are in some of our schools and those students walk in your room and when your face lights up for them, Some of you teachers are giving that kid the only joy he's getting that whole week. Keep lighting up for him. Let me read you some of the science on this. Relational joy is the fundamental ingredient in the formation of thriving and character. Joy. Everybody say gozo. That's the word for joy. Joy. Gozo. Joy is the foundation where the brain learns new skills, and joy is the bedrock to strengthen existing skills. Neurologically, joy means we are the sparkle in another person's eyes. Our brains work best in the context of being with people who are genuinely glad to be with us. Which means, when I say go spend some time with God, no wonder so many Christians avoid quiet times because they think they're walking into the presence of someone who is irritated with them, when if you only knew how much he once time with you, you'd be like, wait, when you come in his presence, he's not going, oh, you again. Angels, how long is this quiet time going to last? When you walk in the room, his face lights up. Like there, there's, a, there's a sparkle. That's why the, the great blessing of the Hebrews for thousands of years now, which I say over my children, is this. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance to you. That's a phrase that means smile on you. Sparkle at you. Like this is what Hebrews, little Jewish kids would hear their whole life long. May God's face sparkle when you come in. May, May you understand that when God looks at you, you're not the dirt and dust that you started as. He sparkles when he sees you. That when you come to him, you're, you're, not, simply, you're not simply a, a pebble, Simon. You, you, you're Peter, the, the rock. That He sparkles when you walk in the room. That, that you are the apple of his eye. That you are the fairest of 10,000. That when the Bible says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that was buried in a field, and a man would do anything to go uncover that treasure, you are his treasure that he would do anything to uncover all that dirt that's holding you back. Friends, is that your self-perception that you are the treasure? And the Bible's honest. It's buried. It's dirty. There's crud. It's going to take some work to become everything you need to be, which is why 
a man comes and he sells everything he has to go buy that treasure in a field. God comes, gives up everything he has to go up on a cross to uncover the treasure in you. To pay for our sins, obviously. To reconcile sinners to God. To, to provide propitiation and, and absorb the wrath of God. All of that is true. But friends, don't miss what Jesus said. You are the treasure in a field. It's, I always hear people say, well, God needs to become your treasure. You should give up everything for God. Of course that's true. Do you understand? You can never love him until you've first been loved by him. We love him because he first loved us. I will, I will do anything for Jesus because he's already done anything for me. You're the apple of his eye. Do you believe that? Or, or do you still have all these? Today, I'm, I'm, I'm like, God, today, in Jesus' name, uh, it's hard. It's hard. That's what I want happening today. Listen to this. Relational skills require a high, this is so, by the way, this is UCLA. This is a study from the University of California, Los Angeles. Relational skills require a high joy relationship and environment. The science confirms that our two essential identity components are number one, this is identity. Number one, our identity is found in, it's relational and it's joyful. Our identities are found in people that we relate to and people that we relate to with joy. That is where you'll find your identity. So parents, if you're concerned, I don't want my children hanging out with the wrong crowd. I'll tell you what crowd they're going to go to, the crowd who lights up when they come. It's not just kids, by the way, it's grown-ups too. Because when grown-ups start hanging out in the wrong crowd in the hallways at school, wherever they are, I can tell you what happens. We always go with the people whose eyes sparkle when we show up. If only you knew how much Father's eyes sparkle for you. And can you imagine if as a church, if as a people, if we became the kind of people that said, God, be, because, because you've set me free, be, because, see, see, what's happened is we hold back. I get it. I know why we hold back, because I don't want to get hurt. I have been hurt. I mean, I, I have been. I mean, I've, I've had people in recent months tell me, Mike Pats, I secretly hope that you have a moral failure and fall. I'm like, I'm like, wow, Lord. Please don't hear their prayers, you know? I'm, I'm, like, I'm like, man, I better be guarded when I'm around this person. You know, it's like, I, I think we, because we've been hurt, we put up these walls. What I'm telling you is that's not how you're wired to live. And you know what? Something happens when you snip the lines. You're like, wait a minute. When you get liberated, say, you know what? People are going to hurt you. Go ahead and love them anyway. People are going to stab you in the back. Do it anyway. Because the only way to live and love, the only way to live freely is when you live like God in his image, which is one where you count on God will be your defender. One of the brothers in our church blessed me a couple weeks ago at the gym. He just comes up and puts his hands on me and says, Michael Pats, I wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and I pray you will not fall. You might be in here right now. He says that you, we pray that you're going to make it till the end. And there's many of us that are praying for you. I'm like, thank you. I'm like, you have no idea how much that means to me. See, there, there's something about when you are the sparkle in someone's eye and they're for you, not against you. Listen to this. Transformation only happens when this is, this is a secular study. Transformation only happens when unconditional love is high. And it turns out that identity and character develops and attachment relationships formed with people who are glad to be with us. I just want us to go love this world the way Jesus has loved us. Because when you go to, hey, teachers, when you go to school tomorrow, sparkle when those kids walk in the room. Coworkers, sparkle when people come in because transformation happens. Here, this is the book I told you about last week called Transforming Fellowship. 
gotten a lot of, I'm indebted for a lot of these thoughts from that, that book. They have 19 brain skills. The first one is to share joy. They say joy creates a chemical cocktail that is simply euphoric. When somebody is glad to be with you, their face lights up, their body language, voice tone, they all convey this joyful reality. We develop strong bonds with those who light up when they see us. Joy gives lovers the fuel to endure, friends the strength to persevere, and families the ability to recover. But when joy levels sink, we are compelled to seek comfort from mechanisms that always leave us empty. Skill number one is learned from people who are glad to be with you. Moms, dad, grandparents, aunts, and uncles, brothers, and sisters. Joy. Everyone say gozo. So, so God, when he becomes, here's how we get liberated. When, when God becomes most important, it, it, that gives me in touch, gets me in touch with no strings attached love. Now, I'm like, wait a minute, maybe no one else likes me, but the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the angels of heaven are all agreeing. I am the beloved child of God. That now gives me a joy, and now I've got a bounce in my step because there's, a, there's something, I've got enough joy in my being that now I'm liberated, and this is the final step, to love my neighbor as myself. Having gotten God as my first, there's a joy that's in me. Now I love my neighbor as myself. Some of you have heard me describe when I was, one day I was just on a treadmill watching a, a TV show that I'd never seen, and there's uh, two kids and a mom and dad, and the mom and dad have a difficult conversation to have with their kids, and, and the kids are sitting there eating supper, and, and mom and dad are like, hey, kids, mom and dad have something to tell you, and they look nervous. And the daughter looks at the brother, the brother looks at the daughter, and Kids, we, there's something we want to say, and they're, they're kind of stumbling over their words. And, and the daughter, finally, wait, 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 wait. What, what, mom, what's going on? Are you guys getting divorced? And mom's like, hey, hey, calm, kids, calm down, calm down. You, you, you know we love you, we know you love. And, and she's like, tell me, are you guys getting divorced? To which mom says, kids, mom and dad do not love each other anymore. And the girl gets up and she's like cussing and screaming and they're mad and they're angry. And, what? What's going to happen? Who are we going to live with? How the, all, the stu- all the stuff. To which the mom, when they finally calm down, it, it's all kind of quiet. And the daughter looks up at the mother and the daughter preaches one of the strongest sermons I've ever heard. She says, mom, if you stopped loving him, how can I know you'll never stop loving me? To which the, do- the mom says, Oh, honey, that would be impossible. I could never stop loving you. And I turned the TV off, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, like God, that's it. What the mom was saying was, honey, when it comes to you, when you were born, I, when you were born, the, the strings were all cut. There were no strings attached from the moment you were born. You were born, and all you were was trouble. All you were was diaper art. All you were was inconvenience. All you were, you couldn't do anything. And I didn't care. I would do anything. When you were born, I loved you, no strings attached from day number one. But the truth is, with your father, there's been strings attached the whole time. The reason I can fall out of love with your father is because I was in a fundamentally different quality kind of love with your father from the jump. I lusted after him. I was attracted to him. I was infatuated with him. But there were strings attached all the way through, which is why I can tell you I I would not even be able to stop loving you, but I can stop loving your father because if by love you mean steadfast love, I never steadfast loved your father. If by love you mean no strings attached, I never no 
strings attached to love. If by love you mean has said, I never has said loved your father. It had strings. It was conditional love from day number one, which is why we have fallen out of love. And now it is done. But with you, there was never a string to begin with. So you can rest confident. Now she didn't say that. But the truth is what Jesus is calling us to do today is to look at a life where God wants to set us free. And I'm asking some of us, can we humbly acknowledge that although strings make sense, they're not his way. And that today's a day to say, Jesus, I cut the strings. Perhaps in your marriage, perhaps with friendships, that today's a day we say we are going to show this world and each other the love that comes from God himself. Jesus, make it so. I was, reading, I was reading Randy Alcorn, who was talking about Robert McQuilkin, who was the president of a college. His wife, Muriel, had developed Alzheimer's disease, and he writes about how much she taught him even after she had gotten the disease. She always loved to pick flowers, and she would take those and, and, and do this, but after her disease and her mind was kind of going... Someone had brought them an Easter lily, and when they brought this Easter lily into the house, it had two stems with four or five flowers kind of coming off, and one day she had gone and she'd cut it, and she brought it to him, and he got so irritated, he yelled at her, and he, he told her he was so disappointed in her, please do not do that again. And he felt so bad, he was telling his son about it the next day, and right as he told her, she came in with the other stem from the lily that was given to them, and laid it at his feet, and he just said, thank you. His son said, oh, you're getting better. He describes how Muriel had increasingly become confused with her words. She would say yes when she meant to say no. She would say no when she meant to say yes. The time came when she could no longer complete sentences except for one. Three words. I love you. She deeply loved her husband, whom she had served with for 42 years when Robert would leave for work, he had to hire a companion to stay with her during the day, but she would often go after him because she was only at rest with him. The walk to school was a, a mile-round trip, and sometimes she would make the trip up to 10 times in a day. Sometimes at night, he would put her to bed, bathe her, clean her, and he would see that her feet were bruised, even bloodied. He was talking to their family doctor about it. He said, I, this is just love. She, she loves you. She, that part of her still, she, she loves you. Such love. Robert was reading a newspaper columnist response one day to a writer who had said that they ended a relationship because the relationship was, was no longer meeting their needs. And they said, well, you need to identify your needs, communication needs, your sexual needs, all these kind of needs, to which Robert reflected. He said, it was eerily irrelevant, every one of the criteria of those needs, because his wife can meet none of those needs. He said, but as he was reflecting on this, eventually he decided he could not remain president of his college so that he alone could care for Muriel. And when the time came, the decision was firm. He said, it took no great calculation. Had I not promised 42 years earlier in sickness and in health, Till death do us part. No strings attached. He said, I've been startled by the response of people that hear my, hear my announcement of my resignation. Husbands and wives are renewing their marriage vows. Pastors are telling their stories. People are giving speeches. But it's more than just keeping promises. And to be fair, I need you to know that Muriel isn't just a task for me. She is my joy. 
See, Robert McQuilkin didn't put strings on the love for his wife. He, he was living out of his breath, not out of his dirt, when the image of God was coming through him. Because as he gave himself for his bride, she was his joy. Hebrews 12 says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. You are his joy. And when you know that's the case, he becomes your joy. And you put him first. And you taste his love. And you realize who you are. And it gives you joy. And then you're free to go cut the strings. And to go love this world. People that can never pay us back. People that will never love us back. And to show them a God who says that we are the treasure hidden in a field. Church, let's go find some treasures. But if you haven't yet received it, receive it today. You are his.